Jared, I'll do it. You're listening to Here's the Catch with David Lombardi, Matt Barrows, and Dennis Brown on the Athletic Podcast Network. Well, guys, uh, glad to hear you again. It's our first episode in a few weeks, and we've all been uh, doing our thing at home, not traveling too much, just maybe going outside every once in a while, getting a lot of work done, right? Matt, how's it going for you? Have you been, uh, I know you've been staying productive productive because I've been reading uh, a lot of your stuff, but how's the... How's all this shelter in place and, and this change in pace uh, going for you as we're, what, over two months in now? The other day, I went and I played um, basketball with my niece. She lives in Burlingame. She's a really good basketball player. But I realized that as we were kind of uh, banging into each other in the low post, that was the first like human contact I'd had since February. I live by myself. So not a handshake, not a high five, nothing until that point. So uh, that was nice to kind of get that going. And it seems like we're slowly creeping back to normalcy, but I just uh, worry that uh, everything is, is happening too quickly and that we'll have some sort of relapse. But, you know, the big news this week sports-wise is that Governor Newsom says that we could have professional sports back in the state in early June Without fans, of course, and um, assuming that all the trends are still downward. But that's the first real kind of big glimmer of hope for pro sports for the 49ers having training camp here that we've seen in a while. So uh, that was a, uh, a shot in the arm, if you will. Dennis, how's it been going for you up there in San Francisco? You know, shelter in place has been different for me because during the off season, the main way I kind of make my living is social gathering events and fundraising and public speaking things. So it's been really different for me, but I've been able to kind of connect with a lot of organizations that are doing things for the community. It's been keeping me really busy. And like you said, Governor Newsom said that, you know, sports is coming back. So that's kind of a high point. And I'm excited to see kind of what happens. I mean, I've seen some, you know, the baseball overseas have been going. I see a soccer league has started up. There's been some talk that the NBA may uh, resume and baseball may come back. So it's kind of cool. You know, I never thought that I would miss sports or hearing about sports uh, on the local news or or reading about something in sports. But, you know, it's kind of exciting to see that it might be coming back. And and I'm with you. I I just hope it's not too soon. And and then we'll, you know, we're put back in shelter in place because there's another spike. So, but it's been interesting and it's, I've done a lot of uh, self-inventory and I have a lot of things around the house that I I said I would do that I, I still have not done. But uh, it's exciting to think that sports is the light at the end of the tunnel right now. It's funny that you mentioned self-inventory because I think we've all had more time to reflect, work on ourselves. And, you know, maybe that's, you know, part of the positive of this if we're looking for silver lining. And, you know, one thing I want to ask you guys about, because I personally have gone through this phenomenon. It's been over two months now, right? What is it? It's May. Yeah, it's we're past mid-May and this started in mid-March. So. I felt that the first couple of weeks of the world really slowing down and, you know, not being able to really do anything was extremely difficult because especially for us, all of us were involved in an extremely frenetic end of 2019 and start of 2020 covering the 49ers going to the Super Bowl. I mean, it doesn't get any more 100 miles an hour than covering a Super Bowl, right, with with everything that's going on out there and all this and all that, and of course the playoff run before that. So you're in this high adrenaline, go, go, go mode. So for us, for stuff to shortly thereafter just completely grind to halt, to go from 100 to zero, 
I felt that the days were just so long during the first couple weeks of this. I mean, you were just looking at the clock and you're like, how is it only 4 p.m.? It feels like it should be much later. But then something weird happened and maybe it was a month ago, maybe it was six weeks ago. My body adapted, my mind adapted and stuff really slowed down. You know, anxiety kind of went down because I recalibrated to the new situation And that was kind of survival, you know, if you don't recalibrate, you're just going to die of boredom and anxiety and all this every day. And instead, I I got used to the new pace. And, you know, in a way, this is again, this is one of those silver lining things. I'm not saying this is all great and all that. But in a way, it's nice. In a way, I think I've learned how to appreciate and I'm ready to appreciate when the world does get back up to speed because I've been able to take these long days and try to make the most of them. Matt, do you understand where I'm coming from as far as like the mental approach and how it's shifted over these couple months? Yeah, I think it's um, adaptation. I mean, you, you just kind of uh, adjust to your your new normal. Obviously, this is this is an awful period and I don't know, once in every four generation thing that we're going through. Nobody ever wants to go through it again. But but there have been a few silver linings. I mean, listening to John Lynch talk about he's got college-age kids, and those kids are living in his house. And they wouldn't be if it wasn't a quarantine, if there wasn't a pandemic going around. And he used the expression, I feel like I'm stealing time with my kids, time that he wouldn't normally have. He obviously loves his family very much, and I'm sure there are some... Some parents out there with young kids that, uh, you know, wish they were in school and whatnot. But the point being that there is uh, an opportunity for family time, I think, for a lot of people. And I've heard that same sentiment from a lot of parents that, you know, they're learning things about their kids. They're impressed with how their kids have, again, adapted to the situation. You know, I think that's just that's just humans. The first few weeks of, of adjustment are tough. They're different. But once you do, we do have the ability, we are animals after all, we have the ability to adapt to new environments, and that's what a lot of people have done. It's really deep, but uh, <laughs> um, it's sort of where we, we are. We have the days. time for the introspection. How about you, Dennis? How have you <laughs> mentally shifted here to, to be able to, to cope with everything over the past couple of months? I'm on the other side of it. I mean, I, 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 haven't, I haven't kind of uh, you know, gotten used to the, to the new normal. I want to get out and I want to go. Oh, me too. I mean, me I, too, I want 100%. To, yeah. I haven't become complacent yet. I mean, and I hope, you know, a lot of these guys, these athletes, you know, haven't said, you know, I'm going to become complacent. I really do hope that they're working out every day. I've seen a lot of videos of guys out doing different things, running around. You have to work out by yourself. You have to be motivated. You have to get out and, and you have to work on your craft. I just hope that these guys, especially the rookies, these young guys, now you don't have the opportunity to come here and work out or, you know, learn the culture and you know, get a playbook in your hand. You have to do it online or however they're doing it. I hope these guys are are working out and are still working on their craft because when it starts, it's going to start. It's going to be full speed because you kind of have to catch up a little bit. But I have a hard time staying in the house. I mean, I know the social distancing thing and I know how important that is, but God, I want to do something. I got to get on my bike. I've rode my bike all the way down. You know, I'm in San Francisco. I've rode all the way down to San Mateo, just on the roads. I mean, I, I just feel like I need to get out and be able to do something. Like I said, I've, I've neglected a lot of chores I need to be doing around the house, but I haven't gotten used to it yet. I think it's easy to do because you can kind of wake up and kind of do what you have to do and, you know, watch a lot of TV. But it's been hard for me, man. It's been super hard for me because 
I'm so used to be kind of getting out and kind of going. So, and it looks good. I mean, it looks like it's it's coming to an end. I just hope it's not too early, like I said. But God, it's been super hard for me. And the way I guess I would characterize it, again, for me, it's that's just looking at the silver lining. I wasn't trying to go out and say that I'm enjoying this. But for everybody, <laughs> I think it's this kind of mandatory pit stop that nobody really wants to take because it's been so long. But for the sake of everybody, for us, for the 49ers players, for everybody in the NFL, for everybody around the world hopefully people come out of this pit stop stronger hopefully they've used the pit stop to do whatever they need to to recalibrate to be able to hit that ground running hopefully you know when we do get back out there people are able to get back to work quickly especially those that have lost their jobs which is obviously a very big problem and will be a big problem moving forward and i think sports uh it may be a big part of the emotional recovery process because you know what we do we're covering a sport which people turn to to see positivity to see opportunity optimism to see a guy achieve his dreams to see a team come together and achieve their dreams and that's why sports always have those big emotional moments that seem to gather a lot of people and and we'll see if the 49ers can give that to people this year regardless of where they play I know that a week ago at this time the possibility of playing games in Arizona was maybe looking more likely than California but uh, you know after the latest reversal we saw Gavin Newsom say that he expects professional sports to return without fans or they can start returning without fans next month that's obviously an arrow up for the 49ers playing their games at Levi Stadium this year so let's talk about the 49ers guys uh it's uh, obviously been an interesting offseason from the player acquisition standpoint they had an eventful draft they had I would say eventful free agency when you talk about Trent Williams I know he wasn't a free agent but it was a trade but they have acquired quality veterans for this team or at least one really quality veteran for this team and now we move forward into a 2020 season and a tentative schedule. I know that uh, you can't really 100% pour that one in concrete yet, Matt, but it is an interesting schedule for the 49ers because they traveled to the East Coast, you know, one of the hotspots, you know, of this whole virus immediately in September, and they're supposed to be there for a whole week. So we'll see how that holds up. All in all, I think that it's a fairly advantageous schedule for the 49ers travel-wise if you assume that everything is back at least close to normal by September. Yeah, and I guess uh, in, in terms of coronavirus and, and listening to what governors say, maybe uh, Governor Cuomo isn't quite the guy that you're you're listening to if you're the 49ers. You're you're listening to the New Jersey governor. I don't, I don't know who that is, but MetLife Stadium out there is in New Jersey, of course. So that will kind of govern you know whether those games are played there or not. And I know that every year the, the 49ers make a request. They know their opponents, of course. So they make a request every winter to the schedule makers that, uh, boy, we'd love to have these East Coast games back-to-back so that we don't have to go back to California and then head out to the, the East Coast at a different point. And they got their wish come true with back-to-back New York games. That's a real bonus for them. I forget which team it was. I think it's the Baltimore Ravens who have the smallest amount of travel this year. And I was looking at the numbers and their travel, I think the 49ers equal their travel with their one trip to New England. That's the longest trip that they can make to Boston or to Providence, Rhode Island and back. And that's just about equal what the Ravens are doing all season long. So Despite the the back-to-back spot in New Jersey, the 49ers still have a lot of travel that they have to do, which is, you know, what happens when you're a West Coast team. And I guess, Dennis, when you were playing, was that ever discussed among teams that, you know, the Cincinnati Bengals don't ever have as much 
travel as the 49ers. Does that ever kind of register in your head that there are other guys in the league that are traveling a lot less than I am? When I was with the 49ers, we had a lot of East Coast games. And I can remember one year, you know, we played the Giants and we played Pittsburgh and then we played the Jets. You know, we just made the trip, you know, every week. We didn't stay over. Uh, I don't think, I'm sure they maybe they thought about it, but it never really happened. We just kind of got on the airplane. But I think, you know, the way that the 49ers do the traveling, at least when I was with the team, you leave on a Friday night, you have a Saturday to acclimate, and then you play a game on Sunday and you come back. But the 49ers have a pretty good formula when it comes to playing these East Coast teams. You have a facility and, and you stay, and they've been successful with it, and you stay you know, on the East Coast for that two weeks or that three weeks and you practice and you have an opportunity to acclimate yourself and you know, guys you know, don't really worry about the jet lag. I never felt any jet lag because we left on a Friday to go to an East Coast game. But I think they have a pretty good formula. They have a place to go. It's been successful. But no, it was never really uh, an issue. It was just we got on the plane and we went and we played. And But it was a different time. I think it was a different athlete then, different mindset. But it was never really a big issue. I mean, going to the East Coast. We knew that we had to play in the East Coast. We always had one of the toughest schedules. Now the 49ers, I, mean, I think last season was a pretty tough schedule. And, you know, now you're in the Super Bowl, your schedule just gets tougher and it's going to be more traveling involved in that. So with us, it was it was never really a big issue as far as going to the East Coast because we, we knew we had to do it three or four times every season. For me, it's about how many early body clock starts the 49ers have. And as Matt said, you're going to be traveling no matter what. As Dennis said, the team is going to do its best to cut down on the jet lag and all those things. But at the end of the day, how many times are you kicking off at 10 a.m pacific time because at the end of the day you can't travel that early in the week right at some level if you're kicking off in the morning it's going to be unnatural and when you look at this 49ers schedule i think they caught a big break there's only really one game all season where they'll be kicking off at 10 a.m pacific time on their own body clocks two times in a row in new york assuming this schedule holds up they have a 10 a.m. Pacific time kickoff, but since they'll be staying in New York for that second game, they should already be acclimated, right? That's an entire, what, eight or nine days to get acclimated for that second 10 a.m. kickoff that'll be against the New York Giants. So the only one that I see, and there's stats that show that teams from the West Coast that kick off at 10 a.m. on the East Coast, they do win less frequently. So I think the 49ers are only at that disadvantage on Sunday, September 20th against the Jets. That's a 10 a.m. kickoff. Other than that, they should be able to stay in New York over the week. And then later in the season, when they go to New England for that big uh, road trip that Matt talked about, that is a 425 Eastern start. So that means a, a 125 Pacific time start. That means that the body clock for the 49ers Shouldn't be an issue. So that's what I look at, Matt, because I still remember in 2017, back when the 49ers uh, obviously were not the cream of the crop, they did not get any favors from the NFL. And I believe they had four or maybe even five early body clock starts that year. And that was a big, big point of contention for the 49ers at the NFL owners meetings. Yeah, and uh, the fact that they were in the Super Bowl last year, uh, I think, helps them. It means more games in prime time than games in the in the early slots which is where the poor teams usually go so they're benefiting from their from their success in that regard um Dennis I wanted to ask you let's say that NFL teams are permitted to start gathering next month in June this is when they would normally have their mini camps and whatnot 
If you're a player and we're coming out of the coronavirus uh, quarantines, what are your concerns? What do you want to see the team doing, thinking about as far as, you know, a bunch of guys gathered in, in the same spot and, you know, sweating and there's lots of bodily fluids going on? I mean, what would your concerns be if you were a player today? It's hard to kind of contain this virus. And I, I don't think until, you know, there's some type of a vaccination that can kind of make you immune to this. I think if you have any group of guys, any group of people together, I mean, the chances are super high. But especially in this sport where, you know, there's a lot, like you said, there's a lot of, lot of fluids transferred. I mean, there's a lot of sweat. There's a lot of saliva on the field and off the field. My biggest concern would be someone actually getting infected. And then, you know, we know once... You know, you have one person infected, you know, pretty much five or six people are infected and then you're then you shut down. So if these guys come together and someone gets infected and then it, and it goes through the whole team and then you're you're back to square one and you have to start all over again. But I read somewhere that the NFL is coming up with some type of face mask that can be used in football that will kind of prevent some of that. So you have to be super careful. But it, it seems like in something like football, it's hard to be cautious with this virus because it's so so aggressive and it's so contagious. You know, my biggest concern would be, first of all, me kind of getting infected and then, you know, taking it to, you know, wife and kids, other people in your family, or and then the team just kind of shutting down again. So I'm sure they have some things in place. I, I hope these guys get tested. I was tested a couple of weeks ago. I just hope you're able to test guys and, and guys who are, are positive have to be quarantined. But it's weird that we're talking about sports and we're talking about people getting quarantined and people coming down with this virus, but it's it's the real deal now. Yeah, it's going to be interesting as this moves forward because I think the one thing that sports and especially the NFL have going for it is that all of the players, right, are in the demographic, the, the young, healthy demographic where they're going to be much less personally affected by this. But the key is in case this starts spreading in the NFL or if only one or two guys get it, you have to be able to identify who got it so they don't ac accidentally take it home to somebody who may be immun immunocompromised or older. So there is that delineation. I think that's the same delineation that society is facing right now. And that's why we're slowly starting to reopen. But we have to be able to, you know, really tailor the policy for different groups. And the NFL is going to have to tailor its policy for different groups to make sure that, you know, hey, even if a player is infected and he's mostly asymptomatic, let's make sure that we identify this right now so this doesn't turn into a bigger problem elsewhere. And as we learn more about the virus, as we learn more about the different processes to combat it, I think we'll be able to apply more sharp way to get around it while still functioning. I think that's where, where the world is right now, slowly starting to restart. And the NFL obviously is, is going to try to come back in September. But obviously before then, Matt, there's a lot of off-season work that needs to be done. So we don't know exactly what it's going to look like at the team facilities as of right now, even though those, those are slowly starting to open up. Uh, I think head coaches aren't allowed back yet. We're still in the very early stages of this, right? And it's one of those things where every time that you talk to a veteran and they start talking about rookies, they're saying, boy, I'm happy I'm not a rookie this year because of all this distancing and all these restrictions. It's going to be really hard for young guys to get up to speed this season. There's going to be a lot of unique challenges as far as that goes. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, somebody asked me the other day in a mailbag uh, who I thought would 
be in a better position to sort of fill the boots of the the veteran that the 49ers lost? Would it be Javon Kinlaw or would it be the other first rounder, Brandon Ayuk? And I said I thought it would be Kinlaw just because the very nature of the wide receiver spot, especially in Kyle Shanahan's offense, is such that it's complex and it, it takes a while to learn it perfectly. And the contrast is well, can Brandon Ayuk be as impactful as Debo Samuel was as a rookie last year? And there's a, a couple of key differences. One is that Samuel was playing for Shanahan as early as January. Remember, Shanahan and the 49ers coached that South team at the Senior Bowl. And so it's just a very basic version of the offense. But you know, Samuel was running those routes in late January and had the, the benefit of a full off season, full training camp. And even then it wasn't until, you know, midseason that he really took off as a as a receiver. One of the benefits of, of having a guy like Debo Samuel who's so good running after the catch is you can treat him a little like a, a running back, you know, sometimes directly handing him the ball and sometimes throwing him screens and can be very effective that way. And so I think Ayuk could have the same impact, but boy, he is definitely starting a little bit behind the eight ball, just given that it's, uh, you know, his first introduction to the NFL is during a pandemic. So I think all those guys are going to be behind a little bit. But, uh, yeah, the question, Dennis, for the 49ers as a whole is that are they better off, do you think, than other teams, given A, how good they were the year prior, but the team is mostly intact, too. I mean, the very few defections from this roster from last year, does that give them an advantage in an offseason that's been curtailed like this year's has been? Yeah, I, I think it gives them a little bit of an advantage. I think it's also, you know, the culture. I think it's what John Lynch and, and Kyle Shanahan have, have kind of created. And you've seen, you know, guys come in here and, and they do really well because the structure of the team. I think you're exactly right. I mean, I think these rookies, there's going to be a big learning curve. I think Javon Kinlaw is in the best position because he's a defensive lineman. He's not going to be asked, you know, to learn complex routes and calls and things like that. He's going to do what a defensive lineman does, and that's stop the run and rush the passer. And he's got the great advantage because he's surrounded by some pretty good guys on that defensive line. He's got an outstanding coach also, but you know, he's got D Ford, he's got Bosa, and he's got Armstead there that's going to help him out a lot. His main job is just going to kind kind of be to get in the middle there, kind of push the pocket, read some runs, take on some double teams. So that's what he's been doing because that's what basically what a defensive lineman does. It's not very complex. It's not rocket science. So I think his biggest thing is stay in shape, not let his weight to get too crazy and, and get in that weight room. Learning the playbook, I think, would be very easy for him to do because it's like I said, it's not rocket science. But I think the 49ers are better off. You know, Joe Staley's gone, but I think they did a great job bringing in uh, Williams at, at the tackle, a pro bowler. I think he's going to fit in. I mean, I think he's he's someone, he's worked with Kyle Shanahan. He understands the offense. He understands the calls. Easy for him to kind of make that adjustment, even though he's been out for a year. And I'm still really surprised, you know, there was not a higher pick cornerback that kind of came in but I think that secondary with Jimmy Ward and Mosley and Richard Sherman I think they're going to be all right but I think it all comes down to the structure of this team and the, and the culture that they've kind of built you know when it's time to kind of play I think it's going to work out well for them uh, my biggest concern is you know we're super excited about sports to start it'd be interesting to see talking to players 
Are they excited? I mean, are they concerned about their risks? They're taking on the biggest risk. It's entertainment for us and you know, it's a livelihood for us because we get to talk and write about it. But are they excited about coming in and putting you know themselves at risk and putting their families at risk? You know, when you look at the 49ers offseason acquisitions, I feel that there's a real theme and it extends even to the guys that they got along the trenches. This is something that Matt identified really early after the draft as far as the receivers went. When you look at Brandon Ayuk with the yards after the catch, and, and then you look at Jawan Jennings, obviously another physical guy who, who can also barrel through the yards after the catch. But toughness and physicality was, was a big part of the 49ers draft. But I think that they might have also upgraded as far as beef goes at both of the key spots on both lines that they uh, made changes at. With Trent Williams, you have a guy that's actually bigger than Joe Staley by a good 20, 25 pounds. And with Javon Kinlaw, you have a guy who's 30 pounds heavier than DeForest Buckner. You have Kinlaw, who has you know similar length to DeForest Buckner, maybe a little bit shorter, but the guy is at 325 pounds. That's a full 30 pounds heavier. So I just have to wonder, will the 49ers, I think it's a concerted effort right now. I think as the league is getting faster, maybe downsizing a little bit, you know, there's been this intense emphasis on speed everywhere. And obviously the 49ers have put that same emphasis on speed with uh, their roster over the past few years, and it took them to the Super Bowl. But I think the 49ers, Matt, are trying to do a little bit of zagging while the league is zigging. And this has been you know, one of the themes of the Shanahan era. But I think this offseason's version of zagging has been to really double down on physicality. And when you look at Kinlaw and what he could bring at 325 pounds, and when you look at Trent Williams and the nasty that he can bring uh, you know, uh, 20 more pounds than Joe Staley had. And then when you look at all these yak guys that they're trying to get in the receiving core, they're really looking for tough guys to be able to catch the ball in traffic and bowl over defenders. When you look at that cumulatively, I think the 49ers are obviously still a very fast team, but I think we may see a little bit more physical nasty out of this team if they can stay healthy. Because on paper, that's what it projects like to me in 2020. Yeah, it's always the way the, the league has gone. When it starts to evolve one way, there are certain teams that kind of exploit that that evolution by going in a different way. So maybe uh, as we see more and more, you know, 220 pound linebackers back there, we'll, we'll start to see the, the inside running game become uh, popular again. And, and some teams are still obviously doing that. But yeah, I mean, um, Trent Williams w- would give you that. He gives you a hammer on the left side there. And it'll be interesting to see if the 49ers are are more effective, you know, goal line, short yardage, running to their left than they had been in in previous years. I feel like they've got a really nice running back in Jeff Wilson that can sort of hammer in those two, three-yard gains when space is tight. And then uh, on defense, I remember talking to Robert Sala last year, and I think it was, you know, very early in training camp, and he was talking about all of his guys on the defensive line, and he almost lamented. There was definite concern in his voice that he only had two guys that were above, this is in training camp when there are 90 guys on the roster, and only two of his defensive linemen were more than 300 pounds. And they were just over 300 pounds. That was DJ Jones and Julian Taylor. You know, one of those guys, Taylor, suffered an ACL tear on, I think it was December 26th. So I, I think his availability, at least early in the season, is very much in doubt. So getting more guys with some heft with some bulk in there was important for this team. And so that that was one of their thoughts about DeForest Buckner is that, you know, we don't want to lose Buckner, but uh, if we could replace him with a bigger bodied guy, 
a Derek Brown from Auburn or a Javon Kinlaw. They probably had sort of already identified those guys already as possibilities in the first round. That ultimately might help us just because it gives us something that we don't have. But Dennis, when you were playing, how, how many of you were defensive line mates were were over 300 uh a lot so you know i I played with you know michael carter right uh ted washington dana stubblefield brian young by was always kind of teetering 300 pounds but still close to it you know there was a different time it was when you know offenses were kind of pounding the rock a little bit more but and then i was over 300 pounds so you know it was always big guys on the line of scrimmage and i think if you look at the 49ers, it was, you know, with Armstead and Defoe, these were finesse guys. And I think that was the knock on Eric Armstead when he first came in the league was that he was he was more of a finesse guy. I mean, he was always trying that arm under, arm over. He was trying to kind of rush the edges. He was kind of getting washed on double teams. And then last season, we saw him kind of use that height and those long arms and strength to kind of muscle guys. And he kind of learned how to play defensive line. And, and DeForest Buckner was kind of basically the same player. He was a finesse guy. He was a guy that was a, a quick arm over guy, kind of playing on the edges. Then he did a better job of taking on double teams. And you look at a guy like... Uh, Javon Kinlaw. I mean, he's a guy that that's what he that's all he did in college was take on double teams. So that could be the thought process. You needed a little more. And we know what DJ Jones is probably one of the stronger guys on the team. But I think they need a little more girth in the middle there. And, and they saw the opportunity to get Javon. And I think that's going to help out when you got two guys on the outside that, that are going to spread out the offense a little bit to kind of fight that speed on the edge. So it's going to leave the middle kind of open so you need some guys in the middle there that can hold down some double teams some triple teams come off and make some plays like I said I think Javon will do great because he's used to it Eric Armstead's developed his inside play he can play inside and outside but Javon he's a guy that he's an interior lineman and he can take on those double teams and he can hold those double teams and he can crush the pocket so I'm excited to see this kid play and I think you know having girth on a defensive line and some strength is very important you know who I think that could potentially help a lot against it is the Baltimore Ravens. And they're obviously not on the 49ers regular season schedule this year, but they gave a whole lot of teams trouble last year. And I think there are still people who believe that the Ravens will challenge the Chiefs and the AFC. And and when you're a team thinking about Super Bowl and the 49ers should be thinking about Super Bowl right now because that window is wide open and, and you don't know how long it's going to be open, then you have to think about, you know, potential challengers for the Super Bowl. I mean, Dennis, you go back to your teams back in the 1990s. You guys were focused on the Dallas Cowboys year in, year out, until you were finally able to vanquish the Dallas Cowboys in a game that just re-aired on Fox, by the way, this past weekend. That was that was pretty cool to see, the January 1995 NFC Championship. But with the 49ers, you're the class of the NFC right now. You know, the 49ers... Last year dominated the conference. They have to look at the New Orleans Saints because the Saints are trying to make moves to take their spot. But for all intents and purposes, the 49ers should be focused on the Chiefs, the Ravens, and then the Saints. Those are the three teams that you're going to have to beat at least two of those to make it all the way and win the Super Bowl next season. And when you look at how the Ravens are built with that new age offense and Lamar Jackson running the read option combined with a lot of beef running right up the middle, it really helps to have a dominant defensive tackle 
who can absorb double teams because that frees up other guys to be able to fly around the football and do great stuff on the back end. So I think that Javon Kinlaw is the type of player that can help the 49ers against anybody, and that's why they picked him so high. He can help them rushing the passer against the pass-heavy team, but he also has that beef so the 49ers can really stymie some some run games. And, and these new age run games, especially the Ravens, are tough to handle. So, Matt, I think this all needs to be viewed within the context of the 49ers opposition as well. They're obviously at the very highest level of the league right now. And then you have to look at the NFC West, too, because the NFC West has been getting better. And you have uh, Seattle's there every year, but you have a team like Arizona who's on the rise offensively. And that's why you have to keep the defensive talent stockpile elite because Cliff Kingsbury is going to come with his very best, Kyler Murray and all this and all that. With Arizona, that's a team that's on the rise as well. Yeah, when you're looking at Arizona, New Orleans, possibly a rematch with the Chiefs, I mean, you're talking about teams that use multiple wide receivers, three or more wide receivers on most of their their downs. And to me, really the key guy on defense this year is going to be D Ford because I feel like if they get, I think it was 232 snaps they got out of Ford last year, and they weren't all great snaps because he was dealing with that knee tendonitis. He was coming off of the hamstring injury. It wasn't a great year for him, but my point is that if he's better, if he's improved, if his snap count goes up by, I don't know, even 100 snaps, that's a huge advantage because now you've got Nick Bosa going into, into year two. He's smarter. He's not going to have a sophomore slump. And then you've got D Ford as, as the other bookend there coming off the edge. That's a big deal. And, and that's a way that you can make up any ground that you might be losing as far as a uh, D Ford, Javon Kinlaw exchange. I think Kinlaw is going to be great. I just don't think he's going to be as good as DeForest Buckner was in year one. But my point being is if you're getting quality snaps, consistent quality snaps from D Ford, you know, when you're pairing him with Buckner, then you've got, you know, like what the uh, the Denver Broncos had when they won Super Bowl 50. You've got, you know, DeMarcus Ware and Von Miller coming off the edges. And that's that's very hard to deal with for any team, especially one like the Saints, like the Cardinals, like the Chiefs that love to throw the ball around. So to me, D Ford and Jimmy Garoppolo are the two real keys for me heading into this year. If those two guys show improvement, I think the 49ers are back in Florida in February. Dennis, what do you think about that? I mean, who do you th- who are you really kind of honing in on, zeroing in on as far as who you're curious about this coming season? I like what you're saying about uh, D4. He's a guy that when he was on the field and he was close to 100%, he made such a big difference during the game. I mean, he was a game changer when he was healthy. And when I think back to this team traveling and staying, you know, on the East Coast last season, I think if, if I remember correctly, that was when he, he was kind of pounding on that AstroTurf yeah. when all this stuff kind of happened to him. But I, I think you're right. I think he's going to be the key. Him, and I think Jimmy Ward, I mean, they've re-signed Jimmy Ward. I think Jimmy Ward's, you know, he's going to be put in more positions to make big plays this upcoming season here. I think he's at a point now where he's playing at a super high level and his, his body, I mean, he didn't have any of these freak injuries last season. I I think he's close to 100%. I think you're going to see more out of, out of a Jimmy Ward because he's going to be put into more positions to make big plays, interceptions or, you know, rush even rushing the pass or in the run game. But yeah, I, I like what you're saying about D Ford because I think he's a guy that can change a football game because he can change possessions the way he rushes the passer. He's not looking, you know, for the big hit. He's looking for that strip sack, and he can change possessions at any time of the game, but he needs to be healthy. And that tendonitis, 
uh, needs to finally be healed at some point. One of the things that really stood out to me last year was the 49ers sack rate with D Ford on the field and without D Ford on the field. It was four times higher when D Ford was on the field. Nick Bosa was just as important. The thing is that we can't really measure the sack rate with and without Nick Bosa because he played all 16 or all 19 games for the 49ers last season. That was a storyline as well. Everybody was, you know, wringing their hands over Nick Bosa's health entering the season, and he proved to be extremely durable as a rookie. So 49ers had one edge set. The other edge, I think both edges are important because you got to be able to collapse that pocket. When D Ford was in there, they racked up almost all of their sacks. When D Ford wasn't in there, they got some help from Ronald Blair. They got some help from Demontre Moore, but both of those guys suffered season-ending injuries, so they had nothing behind him, and that's when the defense really suffered. So the key to me is two edge rushers. I know that's the key for Kasurik. He said so before the Super Bowl. He wants two quality guys on both ends, and that unleashes everything for the defense. It allows Eric Armstead to do work on the inside. It allows Solomon Thomas to do work on the inside. And, you know, it was really interesting. I talked to Brian Baldinger, who loves watching 49ers film because he absolutely loves Nick Bosa and, and Javon Kinlaw. I have to toss this one to you, Dennis. Brian thinks that Javon Kinlaw may line up occasionally at end while Bosa lines up inside because he just loves 330-pound Kinlaw destroying an offensive tackle to allow Nick Bosa to spin around him and, and rush inside. As a defensive lineman, uh, do, you know, little machinations like that excite you yeah i mean first of all when you're inside there's a totally different technique when you're inside guy than going on the outside because when you're outside you're on an island basically because you got that contained but if you can use a big guy to get on the outside of a of a tackle and then come inside a tackle is going to have to kind of honor that inside move and it's going to set up a lot of stunts that you can do a lot of times I would line up on the outside and Charles Haley would line up on the inside and then just come around me because a tackle is going to have to honor a 300 pound guy making an inside move so you can do a lot of things when you have the athleticism that you have with a Nick Bosa he can do so many things and he can line up pretty much anywhere and if you get him on the move you know, with a guy with a motor like a Nick Bosa, you know, there's so much you can do. But as a big guy, it's kind of scary because you're on an island. You got contained, you got reverse, you got quarterback boots. There's a lot of things that can happen to you. But when they tell you you can come inside, you know, that's kind of fun for a big guy. Yeah, and uh, I, I think that Kinlaw did play a little bit of five technique. He mostly was inside, of course, at South Carolina, but they used him there occasionally. And that just kind of shows, you know, we were talking about him being over 300 pounds, and that's true. But he also has athleticism. So there's that as well and just gives you all sorts of versatility. So he could play if DJ Jones uh, was winded or if he got hurt. Kinlaw could play the nose tackle spot. He's he's certainly going to play three technique, which is what Buckner's been playing the last four years. And um, yeah, he'll he'll get occasional snaps at uh, defensive end when uh, when they switch it up on on these teams. So I think that's uh, one of the big reasons why they started to zero in on Javon Kinlaw really early in this process. One final thing I want to talk about is the offensive line, Jimmy Garoppolo, and what kind of progress we could expect the 49ers to make on that front. We've talked about this several times before. I think the eye test, the film test, and the numbers test all says the same thing. The biggest issue for the 49ers last year was the interior line for a number of reasons. Injuries were, you know, a big part of it. They were missing Weston Richburg 
for a, a good chunk of the year, especially toward the end after he tore his patellar tendon. They cut Mike Person because he was struggling with a neck issue, and he performed the worst out of any of the 49ers offensive linemen last year in pass protection. Right guard is Person's old spot. That is the only spot of the offensive line that's not really settled right now, assuming that Richburg is going to come back and healthy and grab the center position. I think that Dan Brunskill is going to be the guy to take that job, but the 49ers did sign Tom Compton, who used to play for Shanahan in both Washington and Atlanta, and I think that right guard is absolutely worth paying attention to, even though there's going to be a ton of focus put on Trent Williams at left tackle. I mean, we know that Trent Williams is an all-pro. We know he's going to be fresh this year. We'll see how he looks after the year off, but I don't think that's the big concern. I think the big concern is... Can Dan Brunskill take the good play that we saw from him last year and become the answer at right guard for the 49ers? And if yes, Matt, I think that the ceiling for this offense is really high because they can turn that weakness, that pass blocking from 2019 into a strength in 2020. Yeah, and um, Dan Brunskill is good on the hoof. I mean, and, and playing him at guard would give you a much more mobile guard than most teams have and what the 49ers have had at, at right guard in, in recent years. I think that the, the game plan at, at guard is basically be Tom Compton. The 49ers know exactly what they're getting in Tom Compton. He's sort of the baseline there. So the challenge is for Dan Brunskill and maybe even Colton McKivitz, the fifth round pick, to you know just be better than Tom Compton is. And that's another reason why this quarantine, this wiped out spring session is is a big deal. I mean, it, it just gives those two guys, Dan Brunskill's really a newcomer at guard, and McKivitz certainly is given that he's a rookie. It just gives them less time to sort of beat out this veteran at the spot. And I think that'll be, if training camp starts on July 29 as scheduled, That'll be one of the, the interesting things. Can those two neophytes surpass the veteran who's already familiar with, with the offense by the time the season starts, by September 13th? So that's one of the better training camp battles, certainly the most comprehensive one that we'll see. The other big one is cornerback, is whether Mosley or Akella Witherspoon or maybe the dark horse uh, Jason Barrett wins that right cornerback spot. But um, yeah, I think the name of the game at right guard is beat Tom Compton. And then uh, if you can do that, then you're going to be the, the starting guard for this team. Jason Barrett is still on the football team on 49ers <laughs> roster, huh? It's yeah. true. It's true. But it's so <laughs> low cost, Dennis, that it's the risk reward is such that uh, it's not a big deal if he doesn't That's come through. That's the same thing they did with a guy like Jarek McKinnon. They have him essentially at the league minimum. They're obviously paying dead money because of the original contract, but they've got some veterans on prove-it deals this year at the league minimum, and, and they can easily now, without any added cost, part ways if those guys can't prove healthy and, and ready to go. Wherever this camp's going to be at, I would love to be there just to see the competition in that offensive line. I mean, it's going to be some great, I can just imagine the one-on-ones and the nine-on-sevens and the goal lines with that offensive line because, you know, they're looking for someone, you know, person's not there. They're looking for someone that's going to stand up and say, hey, I want to play on this, this offensive line. And that's kind of been a question mark the last couple seasons, you know, especially in the interior. Now you've got some candidates. You've got some guys that can play. I think Compton's a guy, like you said, that you're going to have to beat out because he's a guy that's kind of been the proven guy. But Brunskill is a guy that played really well at a lot of different positions. And you got this fifth rounder, Bakivitz. He's a body mover. He's a person. He's a big dude. He's got a lot of dog to him. I, I did a quick interview with him and, you know, he loves 
grinding. His favorite thing to do is to pancake people. So I can't wait to see the competition within his offensive line. It's going to be fun because I think it's a cliche, but I think there's a lot of truth in it. These teams are really built from the trenches. And the 49ers last year went so far because the defensive line was so dominant. But ultimately, it was a leaky offensive line that sank a lot of the ship in the fourth quarter of that Super Bowl. So this battle is extremely important. You want to shore it up. You want to give Garoppolo the best chance possible behind a clean pocket to see what the ceiling there really is. Anyway, guys, uh, it's been a lot of fun. So for Matt Barrows and for Dennis Brown, this is David Lombardi. We'll talk to you guys next time on the Here's the Catch podcast.